just a short passage tonight, but one, as we saw, that is picked up and amplified in both Old and New Testaments. Verse 11, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is twenty geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand the mind of Christ. Help us to understand what the Spirit says to the churches. We thank you, Father, for the power to count and number and for the blessings that it has brought to us. We ask that you would help us to use it responsibly as your children. Thank you for the atonement your Son has made for our lives. Help me to speak accurately and powerfully. Help us all to listen carefully, to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I'm sure you know, we live in the age of big data. We live in many ages. We talked about the attention economy recently and now the big data. The most popular undergraduate course offered at Harvard University is Introduction to Statistics. It enrolls over 700 students each year out of a total undergraduate population of about 6,000. And there I am, using statistics to make my point, right? We live in this age of the numbered and the counted, and we're going to talk about that at length. The Bible directly addresses this topic, as it does the topic of attention. Pay attention to the Word of God, says Hebrews 2, and be careful what you count says Exodus chapter 30. Counting allows control and is thus a legitimate part of humanity's dominion. But counting is far more dangerous than the mainstream naysayers of our time claim. Counting is dangerous not just because of how the data can be misused, but because it touches directly on God's domain. When not modified by acts of financial devotion and dependence, counting can result in, well, very negative consequences, plague, disaster. So let's talk about that. The basic point here is that a census is dangerous but can be made safe by the payment of atonement money. That's what this paragraph is telling us. A census is dangerous but can be made safe by the payment of of atonement money. And in case you miss it, right, that's said, essentially that's repeated in every verse of our five-verse text. 
except the first verse. Uh, give a ransom, verse 12. This is what everyone shall give, half a shekel, verse 13. Everyone included shall give an offering, verse 14. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. Give an offering to make atonement for yourselves, verse 15. You shall take the atonement and apportion it to the tabernacle to make atonement for yourselves, verse 16. It's repeated over and over and over, essentially four times in a row, or even five times in a row, as if to tell us, yes, this is a short paragraph, but this point is important. God doesn't say once, take a census, pay the money, move on to the bronze labor. He says, take a census, pay the money. Then he says it again, and again, and again, and again, to make the point that a census is incredibly dangerous. And the translation plague in the New King James, that there may be no plague among you, this is the same word used for the ten plagues in the first part of Exodus. And as you recall then, we said, the translation plague is not a very good translation. The word is better translated, strike or blow. God will smite you if you mishandle this census. The danger involved in the census the census is dangerous with what danger? Well, the danger of being smitten by God. The danger of God striking you. By the way, the word plague comes from the Latin word strike or blow, which is plega, and thus the English word plague. So, why is a census so dangerous? What is it about this act of counting the people of Israel Something that God presumes will happen when you take the census. He doesn't say, if you take a census. He says you'll do it when you do it. As Deuteronomy says, when you make a king for yourself. What's wrong with that? Why might God smite you? One very common answer that seems to be reflected to some extent in the Samuel Chronicles text is that censuses are related to military power. Military power is a common idol. And thus, censuses can lead to idolatry of military power. And God smites you to tell you not to do this. Of course, the interesting thing about David's census is that we're told that 70,000 people died. Somebody counted how many people died. You would think they would have said, all right, we're done. No more counting. This is too hazardous. They keep right on doing it. Of course, the flip side of that is that a state without a census is even worse off. If you don't know who your inhabitants are, who your taxpayers are, where they live, then you can't, you can't administer the functions of the state. It seems to me that even apart from the idolatrous aspects of the state and military power, a dangerous element remains. And that dangerous element is this. Of all the powers of the human being, the power to count is one of the most powerful, one of the most godlike powers, because knowledge is powerful. Or knowledge is power. Something that can be counted is something that can be controlled. And something that cannot be counted is something beyond human ability to deal with. And thus, 
Right? If you think about the role and power of the number, this is all just off the top of my head. Our system of land titling. Township 45 North, range 72 West. Our issuing of vehicle identification numbers. International standard book numbers. IP addresses. Social security numbers. Employer identification numbers. Taxpayer identification numbers. Driver's license numbers. License plate numbers. Phone numbers. Stock keeping units. A little number under the barcode. An SKU. Uh, ticket numbers. Encryption hash keys. Credit card numbers. Bank account numbers. Routing numbers. And there are so many other counted, numbered, and thus controlled aspects of human life. Think about the physical geography of our towns and spaces. Not only our land titles, but house numbers and zip codes that rationalize and map and define the physical geography. The house number was invented for purpose of military conscription in post-revolutionary France. Napoleon wanted to be sure he had gone to every house to look for young soldiers, so he insisted that everyone put a number on their house so that they could all be counted, not missed. Then, right, health is reduced to the body mass index, blood pressure, temperature. The Paris climate target of 2 degrees Celsius over 1990 temperatures rules many aspects of our lives. And did I mention numbers are everywhere? The weather has been boiled down to an exact temperature, wind speed, and barometric pressure. Prosperity has been boiled down to the federal funds rate that either punches the gas or punches the brake. Right? The federal funds rate, 4.75% and rising, that, that's what prosperity is. You can even find a number for this. The chance that Biden will win in 2024 is 29.41%, according to odds offered by bookies on the next presidential election. You can go take a bet on that right now if you so desire. One of the major wells from which humanity has been drawing its power lately is this power of numbering. How do we abuse this power? Taking everything, rationalizing it, quantifying it, counting it, and thus controlling it. One thing that comes immediately to mind is an exchange with a Chinese propagandist that my brother-in-law had on Twitter recently. Jared was writing something about how Taiwan could protect itself. This Chinese propagandist jumped on there and said, your article is stupid. When 1.4 billion decide to do something, no one can stop them. The very obvious, blatant power of the number. We are the world's most populous country. If we want to do it, we don't really care what anybody else thinks. We are going to do it. Numbers are dangerous. This power of counting is dangerous. Now, it's hard for us to get that into our minds because we are so used to living in the numbered, controlled world that we hardly think of it as dangerous anymore. We think of the opposite as dangerous. When your speedometer goes out, you feel a real tug of anxiety. I don't know how fast I'm going. The progress of this vehicle can no longer be reduced to a number. We regard the unnumbered, the unclassified as the true source of chaos and danger. 
The Bible emphasizes the opposite. The numbered and controlled is the source of spiritual danger. So how do you protect yourself? It can be made safe, but how? The answer in the text is by the payment of atonement money. Now that answer is not circulating anywhere today. Right? There are plenty of secular theorists out there warning against big data. But their solutions as to what to do usually center around storing it safely. Or in the European Union, they've had a right to be forgotten. You can write to big tech and say, I don't wish to be on your servers anymore. You must scrub all mentions of my name from your records. And big tech is required to do it within a certain number of days or months. Or there's uh, an ethics committee that regulates how the data can be used or who has access to it. All of these things are answers as to how to make the numbers safe. But here in the biblical text, the threat is not just how these numbers can be abused by bad actors. The threat comes from Yahweh, and the protection is protection against Yahweh. You shall give a ransom for yourself to the Lord, that, the, that there may be no plague among them. Who's going to plague the people? God is. That's, of course, exactly what happens in 1 Chronicles 21. God smites his people. The protection, then, takes the form of atonement money. As, of course, the Exodus text says over and over and over, give money to God. Nothing fancy, one half shekel apiece. Pay the atonement money. How is that a solution to the problem of the power of numbering? It seems to me that this is the solution. We like numbers because numbers put us in charge. Giving takes us right back out of charge. To give is to say, I am a dependent creature. I cannot protect my own life with my numbering power. God, I need you to protect me. I can quantify things, I can reduce them to numbers, I can control the numbers, but I give because I'm still dependent and I don't control reality. So in this text we have really five themes that come together to make this point that a census is dangerous but can be made safe by the payment of atonement money. The first of these five themes is the theme of the people of God. When you take as a census of the children of Israel for their number, how many people are there who serve God? We continue to do this. One of you counts how many people come to church every week. I deliberately don't do that because I don't want to get sucked into this power of the number and Oh, last week there were 45. This week there's only 42. What's happening? But our denomination requests that we submit a statistical report at the end of every year that documents how many were in worship, how many were in Sunday school, total giving for the year, etc., etc. Right? The power of the number to describe, define, regulate, and control. It's... It's still there. And of course, you can ask, people collect statistics, how many are the people of God? And you will find a number that says there are 2.4 billion people who identify as Christians 
in the world today. And we can look at that and say, well, that's the biggest religion out there, right? When 2.4 billion decide to do something, no one can stop them. The people of God can be numbered, even perhaps should be numbered. Someone asks you, how big is your church? And you say, I don't know. I don't believe in the power of the number. They will say, hmm, maybe we don't want to go to your church. That sounds really weird. Right? It's okay to count the people of God. And God says, when you do it, you are going to do it. And of course, Numbers records at length the first census that Moses undertook. The Lord is reminding us, just as Joab says directly to David, we're not, it's not about how many we are, it's about who we serve. God is the one in charge. We are the people of God, not the people of 1.4 billion or 2.4 billion or whatever the number might be. The other thing that's been noticed from the beginning is that this is a regressive tax. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. This whole idea of purchasing atonement or of funding the institution that makes atonement, which is what's going on here, paying money to the tabernacle so atonement can be made, God cuts off at the knees any idea of the rich becoming patrons of this institution, at least through this particular method. There's no The rich can give a lot and get lots of extra atonement, but the poor only give a little. No, everyone gives the same amount. Rich or poor, you give your half shekel, and that's it. And by the way, this is the historical ancestor of the two drachma tax that we read about in Matthew 17 with our call to worship. Jesus says, I'm the son. The worship in the temple is worship of me. Does it make sense to you, Peter, that I should pay to fund my own worship? Of course, Peter says, no, that doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, the son is free. I don't have to pay, but go ahead and get the fish and pay for us. That was, that two drachma tax, or the half shekel tax, was turned into an annual thing at some point in the history of Israel and levied on Jews throughout the Roman Empire to pay for the ongoing worship and institutional maintenance of the temple. Jesus participated in paying that tax, even though he did it with the writer that he shouldn't have to. Right? Some of you feel that same way when you pay your taxes, but only Jesus can actually say, I'm exempt. I shouldn't have to pay this. But he did anyway. Each, each of God's people is equal in his sight. We are worth the same amount. He doesn't say the bad sinners need to pay 30 shekels. The good people only need to pay half a shekel. Everyone pays half a shekel. And then the act of numbering is an exercise of God-like authority. We've already essentially made that point in talking about the danger of the census. That this is something that allows us to exercise power and something, therefore, that is very dangerous for, for us to do. Now, there's three things, three different words that describe the money that's paid. The first one is in verse 12. It's, Every man shall give a ransom for himself. The word ransom, or kofir, means money paid to release somebody who's in trouble. So you go to Mexico, you get kidnapped by the cartel, 
And they say they will let you go for a mere $500,000. That is a ransom. You scrape together $500,000, give it to them, they let you go. You have been ransomed. So this act of taking the census, or even the act of being counted, appears to be something that puts you in God's power. God catches you, as it were, or kidnaps you. You have to be ransomed out of his hole. And thus, that's the first term that describes this atonement money. Uh, the second term is offering. The same payment is both in ransom and an offering. And thus, verse 13, the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Verse 15, when you give an offering to the Lord. And this means exactly what we mean by offering in the context of the church today. Give if you want. Give as much or as little as you want. This is a free will gift. You can give. You don't have to give. Nobody is tracking how much you give or forcing you to give or coming to you and saying, you know, you're really not giving enough. It's something you have to pay to save your life. That's what ransom means. But it's simply a gift dedicated to God. That's what offering means. Free will gift. And then, finally, verse 16 calls it atonement money. You shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel. Silver or money of atonement. Not only are you ransoming your life by giving this offering to God, you are paying for atonement to be carried out on your behalf. The money per se does not make atonement. Rather, as the verse says, it shall be appointed, they shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement. By supporting the ongoing ministry of the tabernacle, which as we've seen over the last many weeks, is a ministry of atonement, this silver makes atonement. It washes away sin. It placates God takes away his anger against sin. So the funding of the tabernacle is related directly to this theme of numbering, the need to pay, and the people of God. Obviously, right down to this day, religious institutions are funded by the number of people who participate in them. And a church with 10,000 members looks and is funded very differently from a church with 10 members. This church, this tabernacle, had somewhere around, well, 600,000 men on foot, 600,000 households or families as members. This is an institution that's going to be, or is a magnitude larger than any voluntary institution that we see today. There are lives of sinners are forfeit. The tabernacle is an institution built around paying for that sin, atoning for it. And this census, counting the number of worshipers, becomes an occasion for God to say, all of you give half a shekel to the ongoing work of the tabernacle. Finally, this gift is a reminder for the Lord, a memorial for the children of Israel. Now we've seen that word before, back in chapter 28, in the description of the priest's clothing. 28.12 tells us, You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So remember, Aaron wears all twelve names engraved on two stones on his shoulders and six stones on his chest. 
to remind God of the people. It's a memorial when Aaron enters the holy place and the holy of holies. God sees those names and he remembers his people. This atonement money is the same kind of thing. God sees the full coffers in the tabernacle and he remembers his people. And this theme is related to the counting, the numbering, the need to pay, the funding. We have big data, so we don't have to remember numbers. We enter them in the computer, and the computer remembers the number. That allows us to control and forget all at the same time. But the census payment was so that God would remember. And that's where the passage ends. Not with how many people are there, but does God remember you? That's the main point. Does God remember you? And the answer is yes, He does. When you remember to pay atonement money to Him. When you remember to responsibly exercise your power to count. So how can you do that? If we say that that is the main point of this text, for those of us who are not counting the number of people in church every week according to the Word of God... What do we do? Well, I think it should be something like this. When you balance your checkbook, cut the tithe check that same day. When you count up the size of your tax return, decide what charities and churches you are going to contribute to. When you take inventory of the food in your freezer, invite someone over to share it with you. When you learn statistics about this, that, and the other, particularly religious participation, how many Christians there are and what they're doing, let that drive your discipleship of your children. Right? Be a data-driven giver. Not perhaps in the way the world does it, but when you count, give. Because counting puts you in control and giving takes you back out of control. Giving reminds you, this is not mine, this is God's. I don't have this exact number in my bank account and this much in accounts receivable that I can play with, I have it to use for God. When you exercise power through numbers, exercise humility by giving back to the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We no longer offer atoning sacrifices. The work of the church is not atonement in the same way that it was the work of the tabernacle. Which is why... We don't have to offer this atonement money whenever we send in our annual statistics form. We're not asking for atonement for a census anymore. We don't come in here and sacrifice a bull to say, all right, we sent in our census form, here's a bull. This will help us stay humble around here. Instead, we give to one another, we love one another, we let our contributions lay up treasure in heaven to be a memorial for us before God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that amid the swamp of numbers that regulate and control every aspect of our lives, our lands, our, our homes, we thank you that you come to, you speak to that. And you remind us not to put our faith, hope, and love in numbers, put our faith and hope in you to use what we have to do good and to share because with those sacrifices you are well pleased. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son. Amen.